Oh, amen. Let's turn in our Bibles again to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1 to 11, as we just read, speaks of those last few months of Noah and his uh, whole journey with this ark. Right? And finally, it came to an end. Imagine living nearly a whole year now, not being able to really do much, almost like feeling like you're in prison and having your whole lifestyle changed and redefined. What Noah and his family went through is way too similar, I feel, and we can probably relate to him today. Just like him, our world was turned upside down. And we feel somewhat confined. We know we're doing God's will. Nevertheless, we feel somewhat confined. We feel like we are stuck in an ark. But I'd like to point out that this was Noah's silent year. And I want to also say this is perhaps your silent year. What is this silent year? Well, before we keep going, let's pause for a moment of prayer once more and give it to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for today and everyone that is here. And I pray, Father, that uh, the Holy Spirit would impress upon our hearts the things that Noah had put into play, and the, the things that Noah had put into practice, him, his family, his three sons, and their wives. I pray, Father, that you'd be glorified, that you'd be honored by the decisions that are made either today or throughout this day or throughout this week. But in the end, Lord, that you would be glorified through everything that is said and done. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, it almost looks like, or feels like, Noah was quarantined, doesn't it? He was quarantined from the world. <laughs> and the world is being turned upside down. In his end, though, the world totally changed. In fact, he was... Him and his wife and his three sons and their wives, his family is the only one that was left standing. And then there was those animals, of course. But what about the few years that were leading up to that? You know, what was happening before the ark even took place? We know that Noah was up to something, right? So he, we have his sons, we have, their, uh, we have their three wives, and then we know that Noah had to gather some food as well. He was preparing, in fact. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 21, take a look there. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 21, it says, And take thou unto thee of all the food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. I personally think that Noah may have been, uh, he may have been, having a, almost like a bank, a food bank type of thing, where he had to specifically probably gather grains more than anything else, because grains have the longest storage life, right? Uh, they tend to have that, what, six to one year period of time to, to be able to stay dry and not go spoil, not get spoiled. So I personally think he may have had perhaps oats, peanuts, perhaps barley, perhaps some lentils. And this would have been perfectly normal for him to have been eaten, eating this whole time and then finally gather these things into the ark. And I think even that Noah learned how to build a stove. In fact, 
some people don't even take, take into account what Noah had to prepare because it's very possible that he even had a stove in, the Noah, in Noah's ark. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 22, take a look at it. They had the technology. See it here. This is talking about some of the sons that came after Cain. In verse 22, Genesis chapter 4, verse 22, it says, Zillah, she also bare to Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron, and was the sister of Tubalcain, was Nema. So you know that they also had this technology to work with brass and iron. It's very possible that Noah even built a stove inside of the ark so that he can cook food, right? It, it, grain can get pretty boring after some time. So you might want to just process that a little bit and at least cook it or something. And I think Noah could, was able to pull that off. But we also know that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Through that whole time, until he had to build that ark and get in, he was still preaching the gospel. It's what, it, what we know in 2 Peter 2 verse 5, it says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the, uh, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Imagine somebody who is talking about something that nobody has ever seen before. That's what he was preaching. He was preaching that God was going to bring judgment on these people if they were not to repent, right? And what was their decision? The grace that God gave to these people was that they would turn and go into the ark. That's all they had to do, walk through that door. But we know that only Noah and his family were the only ones that were spared through it all. Now, I would also like to suggest all of this stuff was all done by faith because Noah had no clue what was coming. He had no idea what was about to come down the pipe because this was all brand new. The earth had just been built and everything had just been created. It was brand new. And everyone thought, oh, nothing's going to change. Everything's just going to keep going the way it is. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. In Hebrews eleven seven, we are told, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. I would like to suggest that Noah had three practices. Because there's no way, a lot of times we read the story of Noah and we think, oh, this time that he spent in the ark, it's like it paused and then it kept going as soon as he came out. If you think about it, Noah being a human just like us had to do something for a whole year. Can you think of one thing that you want to do for a whole year? over and over and over and over again. He was confined in a space called the ark, and he was willing to do three things, I think, three practices. And we only know about these three practices after we read about his life after he came out of the ark. Those practices we see were shown throughout his life after he came out of the ark. But here's his first practice. His first practice starts with a P. It's the prayer life. I believe that Noah maintained a good prayer life. Perhaps the greatest practice that Noah and his family did was to practice prayer every single day. 
Imagine after the door closed, you heard all those screams of people that are wanting to get in because they never believed what God had told you to preach. Imagine coming out of a moment like that. It's probably very traumatic. Not only that, you have all these animals now. You, you know what happens, right, when a bunch of animals are stuck inside of, in a, inside of a vessel? And now there's these traumatic experiences happening all around you. What do you think the animals are doing? They're screaming. <laughs> They're probably losing their minds just as much as your, your family is. So what do you think Noah did to keep his sanity? I think it's prayer. Perhaps God seemed distant also throughout these days that Noah was in the ark also. He had done everything God told him to do. He built an ark. He had his family with him. But God seemed distant or maybe even silent. We don't hear much about it. We don't hear a much, much about it happening for a whole year. He was stuck in an ark for a whole year. Someone has said that the first sign of someone backsliding is their prayerlessness. A great apologist had said, I think the reason we sometimes have the false sense that God is so far away is because that is where we had put him. We have kept him at a distance, and then when we are in need and call on him in prayer, we wonder where he is. He is exactly where we left him. My plea to you is, go back to God. Perhaps you think that God is silent. God is, that God has not left you a sign of love anymore. That uh, after you've followed and done everything that God has told you to do, uh, all of a sudden he became distant. Or all of a sudden he stopped talking. But I'd like to say that he's waiting right there. He's waiting for the backslider. He's waiting for the person to get right with him again. God promises to always be there for us. Always be there beside us. Never to forsake us. Perhaps someone other than Noah, I think, would have lost total faith in God. At a time like this, perhaps somebody other than Noah, stuck in a vessel like this, would have lost complete faith. Maybe, he was, uh, maybe that person would have become bitter at God. Perhaps they would have become worse than how they had started off. I want to ask you, is that you? Do you feel like your plans that you had 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 gotten messed up and that all of a sudden now that you're, you're feeling punished for what you had done? You don't know. You feel like you have no clue what God had done in your life. You feel like you're a little bit miffed by this whole thing because all your plans have been flooded over. Perhaps this, uh, this whole pandemic thing has destroyed what you would say all your plans for the future. Perhaps you feel like you're a confined prisoner. But I'd like to point out, if you talk to God, he will hear you. God wants to hear it. He wants to hear you. A lot of times we take it for granted. Somebody has said, I believe it was John R. Rice, who said every problem in our life is a prayer problem. If, your problem, if you have a problem, it's because you didn't pray about it. Oftentimes, we're so good at murmuring to others about the problems we have, or we are good at gossiping because we have problems with others. 
And then God is on the sideline wanting to hear, waiting for us to talk to him, but then he doesn't get a single word from us. But these other people do. If a person were stuck on an island, some people say, oh, they would go insane. But I'd like to point out that I think the sanest person in the world, if they were to talk to God, would be the sanest person. If somebody were stuck on an island, speaking with only God, I think they would be the sanest person in the world. Somebody has said, Andrew Murray has said, prayer is not monologue, but dialogue. God's voice is its most essential part. Listening to God's voice is the secret of the assurance that we will listen. He will listen to mine. God wants to talk with you. A lot of people think that God hates them because especially circumstances make them think that God hates them. The creator of the universe cares about you. And in fact, he even puts aside time to talk with you. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that he forgot about you. He still cares for you. There was a songwriter and he wrote, in God's heart there's a place I was made to fill. I find amazing grace when I'm found within his will. He's reserved a sacred place where we can spend the day. And he's waiting there for me, inviting me to stay. And every day, I'm amazed that God would spend the day with me. I'm overwhelmed by his grace that he would feel such love for me. That he, to him, I'm worth saving. My heart is craving to know him and his righteousness and understand his ways. Every day, I'm amazed. Perhaps your plans were ruined. And there's no doubt, I'm sure somebody's plans were ruined throughout this whole year. 2020, many people would say, it is the worst year of human history, as they would like to say it. Uh, it's not World War II, but it's the worst year in history, okay? Um, the world is in this present state, but perhaps it's also so because you need to pray more. E.M. Bounds said, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. Consider it. God loves you, and he's also given you the power to call on him. To ask, imagine this, asking the creator of the universe to ask him a little bit of his time to care about your problems. He wants to. He wants to hear them. That's the amazing part. We know that Noah kept a prayer life because do you know what's the first thing that Noah did after he left the ark? Does anyone know? He built an altar. After he built that altar, what was the reason why he built an altar? Because if you think about it, if a bitter person were to get out of that ark, somebody other than Noah, do you think they would have built an altar? No. We know that Noah practiced prayer throughout this whole ark journey because of that altar. And in fact, because of Noah, we can thank Noah for this. Every time it rains, we see a bow because of that covenant. If Noah had no prayer life, we would never see that. Okay? Think about it. 
Every time you see a rainbow from now on, perhaps I would like to extend this challenge. Take a moment to thank God. Take a moment to get to know God more. You can even shoot up what Pastor White would call a flare prayer, thanking God for the life you have, for sparing you. You could have been somebody else. These plans that you say that were ruined, perhaps God has a greater plan for you. Even today, we're reminded of this covenant, the rainbow, and it's a testament of God's goodness toward us. When you see a rainbow, there is beauty that you cannot really explain. It's multiple colors, and its vastness ought to remind us that God has always had thoughts of goodness toward us and thoughts of love and not evil. Now, the second, the second practice that I think Noah had was preparedness. He was prepared. So he had a prayer life, and he had a preparing life. And we know that he was preparing things into the ark. But just because the times are silent does not mean that there is no work to be done. No doubt the sons of Noah and Noah himself were working every single day, making sure that the food was brought to the animals and that the living quarters of these animals were taken care of. Not only that, they had their own personal needs as well being met. This ark was like an indoor zoo. And no doubt, it required heavy maintenance. It's often been said in the ministry that 80% of the ministry gets done by only 20% of the church. Now, if that was the case and we applied it to Noah's life, that it would have only meant that Noah and his wife were the only ones doing all the work in the whole, no in the whole ark. What do you think? <laughs> Yikes. That's a lot of work. Or maybe it was Japheth and his wife. Or maybe it was only Japheth and Noah and no wives. But if you think about it, it is absolutely ridiculous because the ark demanded all hands on deck, right? Did you know that some Christians treat church like a vacation? Imagine if Noah and his wife were the only ones doing, their, doing the work in the ark. And then perhaps the other brothers were up on top of the ark tanning. Imagine if every Christian treated church like a vacation. Nothing to do, nothing to worry about, just come and go. You see, this is not only a problem in churches today, it was also a problem in churches in the first century. And it has always been a problem in churches. Take a look here in 2 Thessalonians, turn there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 10 and 11. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10 and 11. It says here, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. <gasps> What's a busybody? A busybody, thanks to the White's Dictionary, I found out, a busybody is a person who is just in the way. Someone who is in the way of somebody else. 
Most of the time, it's somebody who wants to work, who wants to do the work. Today, more than ever, we need all hands on deck. The ark may have been a picture, but for us here in the church, we need all hands on deck. We need the participation of every possible Christian. If you call yourself a member of the church, then you have the greater responsibility to do something. Every member is part of the church body. Christ is the head. And there is no way that the head never tells the body or the members of the body to not do anything. Every member has a job in the body and there is much to do. Even during this time of COVID-19, there is still much work to do. If you don't have a ministry to be that you're a part of, I ask you, please come talk to one of us pastors. We would be more than happy to help you out. We're always looking for people to flyer on Saturdays. We're always looking for people to give us a hand in moving things around the church. We're always looking for people to help us clean around the church. We need more cleaning around the church more than ever. We need more hands on deck. We are always looking for more help with the kids' ministries. We're always looking for help with more of these teaching ministries. We're always looking for help all around the church, and every one of you can have a part in it. There's always something you can do. And I think this mentality, the preparedness, is something that Noah really instilled in his family because guess what they did after they got out of the ark? They had to do a lot of work because if you don't get in the habit of doing something during your silent year, during this time that you feel like you're constrained, then when you get out of this time, when everything goes back to normal, so to speak, it's going to be a whole lot worse. So get into the habit right now and start ministering. Noah, his sons, they had to rework the fields. They had to resettle. They had to start nations all over again. They had to repopulate. That's a lot of work. So I'd say we also need to get back into gear. Now this third practice is called the practice of persisting. So prayer, prepare, and persist. The silent year has an ending, right? We all know that this pandemic also will finally come to an end. It's not the worst, but it will come to an end. Things will get way better, and I can promise you that. You just have to wait and see. But if you lose hope right now during your silent year, if Noah had lost hope right then and there during that one year of time while he was in the ark, it would have been the most pitiful and most unprofitable silent year of his life. Noah, his wife, and his sons with their wives were stuck in that vessel for nearly a whole year until they saw the end. One day, you will send out a prayer to find out that this silent year is over. Noah, he sent out his dove, right? And he sent out his dove to find out if there was finally, finally ground, and then he sent, an out, sent out another one. But the question is, during that whole time, did you grow or did you shrink? During this whole time of 2020, did you grow 
or did you shrink? Did your faith grow or did it shrink? Do you feel like you wasted this year? Those who prayed the whole way through will have no trouble when everything goes back to normal because it will be business as usual. We still got to keep praying. Those who are serving the whole way through will keep serving because they know now how to work their time. When the pandemic subsides, they'll know what to do to keep serving. But what about those that had given up on God from the first start, from the start? I want to say, and this is my plea, go back to God. Go back to God because he loves you and he wants to work with you. It's not meant to be easy. This whole journey is not meant to be easy. If you were here last week during our Sunday evening service, I would have said the same thing. It's not meant to be easy. Persisting is persisting because if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. It's not easy. God chose to die for you also, but God chooses every day to meet with you. God chooses to strengthen you every single day so that, he can, so that you can serve him every single day. And honestly, sometimes the day may seem long and persisting may seem harder and harder and harder, but we can be encouraged because, and I'm just gonna quote a small hymn here. Oft times the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away, all tears forever over in God's eternal day. And we know the chorus. It will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. It's worth it all. I want to conclude this. You know how Noah's story comes to an end. You know how it ends. Uh, But your story has not come to an end. You're here. But your story has not ended yet. And perhaps you feel like this is your silent year. Perhaps you feel confined. Perhaps you feel that there is nothing in your life that you can do right now to progress. It's not over. I'd like to say that it's your silent year because God has put this in your life to prepare you for something bigger, something much bigger. When we go out to pass out flyers, I'd like to say take that time to make to make a good contact. Take it as a time to serve God and make his love made known. Perhaps you feel there's some times where you're, uh, you can't do anything at all. Sometimes you may, taking, you may be taking a bus ride. Perhaps you can take that time in your bus ride to talk to somebody. It's very easy to talk to someone, especially these days. You can start off with, how about this COVID-19 thing? Weird, huh? Well, either way, Even when you pay your bills, you can slip a tract in the envelope. That's another way to serve God. You can slip a tract to a waiter that does a good service for you at a restaurant. Restaurants are open these days, and they want more customers, and they're more willing to talk to people these days 
than ever before. Take the time in your bus rides again as an opportunity to witness to someone, even while you're waiting at the stands. Even taking the time in your day to watch the church services when you're home is a service to God. You never know who would be the person in your life that you can talk to about Christ. But don't waste these opportunities. Don't waste this silent year in your life. Noah, I don't think he wasted that silent year. This year that we don't, uh, we don't hear about throughout the Bible, that he, it just seems like his life paused for a whole year. But I don't think so. I think he held to these three practices. He persisted, he prayed, and he kept preparing. Now, let's pause for a moment of prayer. Perhaps you feel that all these restrictions, perhaps you feel that all these things that have come in your life have been confining you as if it was kind of some kind of prison. But remember that it's a silent year that God had put in your life to make you a better person, to make you that stronger Christian that he wants you to become. And perhaps now he's laying a burden on you. If you do feel a burden, to pray, to prepare, and to persist. Why not commit that to God today? Give that over to God. Maybe you haven't been preparing as you should be. Maybe you haven't been able to minister as you would like to. And perhaps that's something that you've been feeling you want to do more. And perhaps even prayer. So many failures in our life happen because we never prayed first. Have you taken that into consideration? Perhaps now you can give that over to God. Dear Lord, we thank you that you gave us this time, that you gave us Noah and the testimony that he laid. And Lord, I can't imagine building an ark for 120 years and preaching the gospel, not seeing any results, but yet he persisted through. A whole year, not, not recorded in the Bible, but from the acts that Noah did after, we know and we can see that he was a man and he was the right man that you chose. You prepared him and he allowed him to be used greatly by you. Lord, let that be said about every Christian here today, praying and committing things to you, Lord, about their prayer life, about the life that, of ministry, Perhaps somebody here would want to do more after this is all done or before this is all done to start giving more of their time to do ministries in the church. And perhaps somebody here had given up. But I pray, Father, that they would come back to you seeing that you're such a loving God and seeing that you still want to talk to them. You haven't shunned them or anything like that. I pray, Father, that you'd be glorified by everything that is said and done today. Thank you, Lord, for your protection and everything, Lord. There's, there's so much we can thank you for. We honor, we, we're honored to be called Christians, Lord. Help us to live up to that name. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, at this time, we're going to move right into our offering time. But, as we usually do,
We're going to hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord in Psalms 113. Psalm 113. And I'll call also uh, Brother Ellie for this time here. In Psalm 113. Excuse me. Psalm 113, verse 1 to 3, it says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Amen. Let's praise him, and perhaps you can take also the time to put your offering into an envelope our offering boxes at the back, and after the service is done, you can uh, slip over there and put it into the box whenever you can. 